0: Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Good morning. My name is Steve Amato, in case you don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at the church. Um, Pete's away, and he asked me if I would share the word this morning. Do you remember the day that you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you remember the the events that led up to that very thing? I do. I remember it was in November of 1977. I'm old. But it was in November that, I don't know what it was, but that day, I was in our family restaurant. We owned a restaurant down in Florida. And I had this desire to know This Jesus I've heard about, but I'd never ever ventured there. I never knew really Him. I wasn't saved. I didn't know anything, but I had this desire that I would come to know Him, and uh, that was 41 years ago. I remember the day. Days after that, I went into a small Pentecostal church and I bowed my knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've been walking with Him ever since, though I've wandered away from Him. And I sinned on occasion, but I always came back. You know why? It's because he took hold of my life. Sometimes I wander, but he brings me back every time. And it's my assurance that I know him. I come back, even though I've had those things in our lives. I would be like Peter when Jesus said to him, Are you going to leave me too? And I would say, just as Peter said, Where would we go? Where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. And that was the beginning of my journey. My spiritual journey began there. But one thing I'm going to make a point here that I really need us to hear because it is very, very important for us to know this. That God, who is the God of salvation, but he is also the one who originates our natural life and our spiritual life. Both. Listen to this. Look at the scripture here. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living soul or a living being. You see, he formed him out of the dust of the ground, but he still wasn't alive until God breathed into him that breath of life. And he became that living soul. It all begins, even today, in Psalm 139, it says that he wove you in your mother's womb. You can bring about biology and genetics and all this science, but yet God was the one who wove you in your mother's womb. He made you a certain way, a certain person. He made you. Though it may be genetic, it's still God. He originated, your life originated with God. You had no choice in the matter of who you were going to be. But our spiritual life is not any different. It originates with Him. This is important for us to know that we don't stumble. But I'm going to read a couple of short scriptures here to show you that it is all Him. Maybe. Just as He chose Him Before the foundation of the world, He chose us in His Son before the foundation of the world. Do you know, in eternity past and eternity future, He knew what He was gonna do with His Son. And before He created the world, before He said, Let there be light, He chose you in His Son before that all took place. Now, people get nervous about this matter of predestination, but understand this He chose you before the foundation of the world and placed you. In His Son, there is security and rest in the fact that you are in Christ Jesus. My finite mind can't even understand it. There is none who understands. There is no one who seeks God. No one seeks God. People say on occasion, you know, I was seeking for God. No, he was pursuing you. Just like when Adam was in the garden and he was hiding from him, God was pursuing him, even though he knew where he was. Just like he was pursuing you. No one seeks after God. No one can come to me, unless the Father who sent me Draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one. No one comes to me, Jesus says, unless the Father draws him. Just like it was in that restaurant. He was drawing me, and I didn't even know it. But I had a desire to know who this Jesus was. I wanted to know all about him. And God the Father, because he chose me in his son way back, now he's coming in to fulfill the very thing. He was calling me. He was wooing me to his son. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift from God. Listen, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that none of yourselves. You didn't even have the faith to believe in him. He had even give you the faith to believe in him. It came from him. When people boast about this, this monstrous faith they had, it all came from him. You didn't have the faith. You couldn't muster up the faith. He gave it to you so that you can take hold of what he was speaking to you about. It is all God. Salvation is God and God alone. If we claim any part of it, if we pace our dirty hands on this matter of salvation, you are robbing God of his glory. He is the one who called you. He placed you in his son, gave you the faith to believe. It's all him. In the end, we'll say grace upon grace. It's been all grace. It's all him, not you. Don't rob him of his glory. It's him who called you. You see, we needed intervention in our life. We needed someone to come in and do this very thing that we could not do ourselves. My partner and I were working an air show down in Florida. I was working on an ambulance that day, and we were there covering the air show and the Blue Angels and all that. On the way back, we get dispatched. We were going to our station, got dispatched on a multi-vehicle accident on, on the interstate going over the Peace River in Florida. To give you a little backstory that we found out later on, this young girl was told by her mother, whatever you do, don't ride on a flat tire if you get a flat because you're going to ruin the rim and it's very expensive. Well, while she's traveling over the, on the interstate, going over the Peace River, she gets a flat tire. As the, on the downhill slope of the bridge, she decides to change the tire in the lane. So this guy pulls up behind her, trying to be the Good Samaritan. She already has the spare tire out and is trying to start to fix her tire. He says, you you can't do this in the lane. You're on an interstate. Just drive up another 100 feet and you'll be on the shoulder. I said, somebody's, she said, the guy said, someone's going to come over here and run into us. Sure enough, here comes his full-size van, five people on board. Comes careening into all these cars. When we pull up on scene, there is mayhem. There is people running around, people yelling everything like that. And it's a mess. Right away, I says, I called dispatch. I said, I need three more ambulances at least. I got seven patients here. One guy came right up right away, one of my ambulances. I said, listen, the policy is is that the first on is the last leave, but I have a real sick girl here I got to take care of. I'm taking her. He said, go ahead. She is laying prone over the spare tire on her tummy, on the spare tire. She is unconscious. She's breathing about five times a minute, and she has snoring respirations, which is indicative of a head injury. She is sick. She is so sick that she's unconscious, and she can't breathe. She cannot do it on her own. So I tell my partner, let's get her spinal immobilized, put her in the truck. I says, i got to innovate her before she dies, because see what happens. If you don't have oxygen coming to your body, And if you're not breathing adequate enough, you'll have an anoxic brain injury. And if you go a little bit further, you'll end up dying. So I knew that this girl needed oxygen. So we got her in the truck and I intubated. I put a tube down her throat throat, and I used a BVM, a bag valve mask. And I pushed 100% of oxygen into her so that she would live. And we did it all the way to the hospital. And she remained unconscious. I didn't know if we got there too late or what, but we brought her to the hospital. A week later, I went back to the hospital. She was out of ICU, and she was walking around rooms, talking to her mom. You see, she couldn't breathe on her own. There needed to be intervention. It's not that I was a great paramedic. I just happened to be there to do that very thing, to give her breath, because without that breath, she would have died. It is the same thing with us. If God does not intervene and step into our lives, we will die and go to hell. But he is the one who calls us. He is the very one. She was helpless, and yet help was there to help her when she couldn't help herself. Today I'm going to speak out of 2 Kings. And I'm not going to put a lot of scriptures on the board because we had communion today, and I don't want to run late. This is going to be a New York Minute. So you got to believe me what I'm saying. You can even read along with me to see if I'm not lying. This book in the fourth chapter of 2 Kings is speaking about a man named Elisha. He came after Elijah, and he was one of the students of Elijah, who was another prophet, and he, was, he knew about all the things that Elijah had done. He was a student, and when Elijah... Uh, uh, the things that he did, he was a witness to seeing what Elijah had done. And he was one of these prophets who is. A prophet is God's mouthpiece. A prophet is the one who speaks the words of God, he is the one who comes in and speaks truth. He. Uh, would travel from Samaria to Mount Carmel and back, and he'd stop at these schools of prophets and speak and hear and listen and learn, but also speak to the younger ones and talk about the Lord. But he would travel from Samaria to Mount Carmel and back and forth. But in between there, because that was a 26-mile walk, in between there, about 15 miles in, was this town called Shunem. And there was a prominent Shunemite woman who lived there. And she would watch this man go back and forth. And she would encourage him to come and eat at her table. And she wasn't a woman of the night or anything like that. There was something about this man that she desired... To have him come and just eat with her. Well, as time went on, he would he would call her in. All he would call, she would call him in all the time, and they would eat together. And in that time, she was beginning to know that this man was a holy man. He would speak about God, and, and God would speak to her through this man. And the wife said to the husband one day, "I perceive that this man." Is a holy man of God. And why don't we build him an upper chamber. And we'll put a bed in it. A a stool. A lampstand, And a table. So that he can come on the way and stop. And refresh himself before he goes through the whole journey. So they did this. And time and time again he would stop there. And spend the night with his servant Gehazi. And one day Elisha tells his servant. He says, what could we do for this Shunammite woman? What can we do? Go find out. And he says, uh, Gehazi went to her and said, Could we speak to the king on your behalf? Or maybe could we speak to the captain of the army on your behalf? And you know what she said? I'm really content. I have everything I need. I live amongst my people. I'm good. But there was something hidden. Something hidden in this woman. And Gehazi finds out about this and tells Elisha and says, She has no son. And you see, in those days, if you don't have a son, it's shameful. It's actually sometimes they thought that it was even the curse of God that you don't have a son. And Elisha calls Gehazi and says, Call the Shunammite to the door. And she'd come to the door and she'd stand at the door and wouldn't come in because she wasn't with her husband. And she stood there. And Elisha said to her, By this time next year, you will embrace a son. It was something in her heart that she desired and never spoke of. But God revealed it. And what happened was, you know what she said? Please don't lie to your maidservant. Don't deceive me. Because she would be full of joy and she didn't want to get that snatched away. Please tell me the truth. See, all along, God is working faith into her life. All the time he spoke with her. And now comes the point where he speaks and she has to take hold of this by faith. And next year she embraced a son. See faith upon faith upon faith. As you keep going God begins to reveal things to you. But when faith comes in trials come in to make sure your faith is real faith. So the son grows up. He's around six or seven years old and he goes to visit his dad out in the field. And when he goes out there, he said, my head, my head. And the father says to the servant, take him to his mother. So he brings the child to the mother. She sits him on his knee. And at noon, the son passes away and dies. She does something strange. That I may have not have done or my wife may have not done. But she goes because she knew that this man was a holy man. She didn't run to a husband or cry for help. She took her son and brought him upstairs to the upper chamber. And laid him in Elisha's bed. And he is in Mount Carmel at the time. She is saying in her head, maybe, maybe there's something. About this man that maybe even the the being in his bed maybe revive him. Because she even heard of Elijah raising a son of a widow. And he laid on the boy three times and he came back to life. Maybe by just putting him in the bed something will happen. And nothing happened. And she went to her husband. Doesn't say anything to her husband. He says to the husband... I need a donkey and a servant. I need to go see the man of God. And she says, wait a minute, it's not even new moon and it's not the Sabbath, why are you going? You know what she says? All shall be well. So the husband gives her the donkey and the servant. She says to the servant, whatever you do, it's 15 miles to Mount Carmel. Whatever you do, don't slow down unless I tell you. Off they go. While they're going there, she's still a long way off, but close enough where Elijah sees her. And he says to his servant, go to the Shunammite, I see her. See, is it well with her? Is it well with her husband? Is it well with the son? So he runs on. And he says, is it okay with you? Are your husband okay? Or your son? And she says, all is well. Why did she say that? You know why? Help. Help only comes from God and God alone. She didn't know this servant, but she knew Elisha. He knew that God could speak through him. Maybe he is the one. She began to have this hope, and she said, no, all is well. Because she knew she had to get to the man of God. Knew she had to get there. And as when she got there, she falls down and takes hold of Elisha's feet. And the Gehazi thinks it's disrespectful and goes to push her off. And Elisha says, don't do it. She's troubled in her spirit. God hid this from me. And he, she reveals what happened. And he says to Gehazi, go, gird up your loins and run to the boy and take my staff and place it on the boy's face. And Gehazi heads out. Now, why Gehazi is gone? This is what she says. Who gets just go to that next slide, please? The mother of the lad said, "As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you." And she arose, and he arose and followed her. You see, she knew that God was alive because of everything that he was talking to her about all the time knows that God is alive. He is a living. Being, as it were. And I know that you are alive. I will not let you go. In other words, she knew by being with this man, her hope was in God. That something could happen to, could change in this matter of her son. Because she loved him. Then Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the, Lord's, on the lad's face. But there was no sound and no response. I want us to remember those words. There was no sound, no response. So he returned to meet him and told him, the lad has not awakened. Nothing happened. Remember those words. Elijah gets there. He goes upstairs to his room and finds the boy dead in his bed. And he closes the door behind him. Does, no one comes in but him. And he begins to pray. He knew that Elijah laid on a boy three times, and he came back to life. But you know what I want to tell us? God doesn't do things the same way every time. He is alive. It's not a formula, do this and this will happen. He was in tune with what God wanted to do. So when he got up in that room and began to pray, you know what he did? Something that we would never even think. But it was spoken to him by God, and he knew. And he laid on the boy, but he put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. After a while, the boy became warm. And he got up and walked downstairs, walked around the house one time and came back upstairs and did it again and put his mouth to his mouth and his eyes to his eyes and his hands to his hands. And the boy then sneezed seven times and opened his eyes and the boy became alive. He called Gehazi and says, call the Shunammite. And the Shunammite woman came in and she says, take hold of your son, he is alive. And she bowed low and worshipped God for what he did. And she took her son. You see, when, when Elisha laid on the boy and he became warm, he didn't stop there. He knew there had to be completeness. You know that seven times he sneezed? Speaks of completeness. He who started this good work will see it through to completion. And when he did it again, the boy sneezed those seven times. It is complete. He is fully alive. He's not just warm. He is alive. What does this have to do with the gospel? See, Elijah, when he comes, I mean, when uh, Gehazi gets and he lays the staff on the boy's face, it's like us sharing the gospel. We lay the staff. You know what Gehazi means? His name means valley of vision. Valley of vision. You see, when we present the gospel to somebody, we're opening up their eyes to the truth. We let them see the truth of what it is. We're laying the staff on these people's face who we share the gospel with. And we lay this shaft on there. See, the thing is, is that we don't know what happens when we share the gospel. We don't know. It's like the farmer, when he plants the seed, he does not know what's going under the soil. He has no idea until something comes up. All this happens because of God as God of salvation. Gehazi comes, I mean, Elisha now comes in, and what does he do? He breathes life into the boy. He breathes life into him. Though the gospel was shared, Now with this young boy, he breathes into him. Then the kid's eyes opens, and then he has strength. Hands mean strength, and the boy becomes alive. Same with us. We preach the gospel. We lay the staff on that one's face, and when you lay the staff on it, you're placing the seed, as it were. And in due time, God comes in behind you, and he breathes into that one life, and he opens their eyes that they may see, and then he strengthens them so that they may believe. That's salvation. I have a cousin named Tom. Very well-read man, super smart. He was about 10 years older than I. He was an administrator of a hospital. But he was antagonistic towards the gospel. And me and my brother Len would share the gospel with him. And he would come up with these cockamamie things. It was like, oh my gosh. And he would go on and on and talk about what he knows and how could this be. And he was just blinded. And if somebody would have said to me, do you know anybody who might not come to the Lord? Yep, I know somebody. Tom, his name is. And he's probably going to hell. Because there's no way that this guy's going to get saved. He's a nut. And no matter what we did, he never knew the truth. He never could see the truth. But my sister-in-law, Carol, and my wife started visiting him at his house, and they would swim in the pool, and they would chit-chat, but they were also sharing the gospel with him. And he was antagonistic towards them. He wasn't mean, but he was, make fun of them, and he, this is for the weak, you need a crutch, you know, all those things that you hear. But they continued to do this. They were laying the staff on Tom's face. All this time, he didn't know about it, but he was, they were planting that seed. Listen, they were that valley of vision. I want to, I'm going to read something here that I don't put on the screen because it's long. But listen what it says in Isaiah 55:10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it to bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now listen, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter in which it was sent. See, God is behind it. All you got to do is open your mouth and share the gospel. Then God comes in. Then it happened one day for my cousin Tom. God breathed into him. And he began to have life. And his eyes were open that were never opened before. And God opened his eyes, and God strengthened him to take hold of that truth by faith. And I was shocked that he became a believer. Shocked. Because the gospel was shared. And God went ah, and breathed into him. Amazing. That is an amazing story. It's a miracle, especially my cousin Tom. Last year, Tom passed away, but he's in heaven because somebody laid the staff on his face and God breathed into him the breath of life. Wonderful story. Listen, this is important for us to know. Why didn't God use angels to share the gospel? Some glowing being beam, beam comes to your door, knocks on your door, and talks about Jesus. Nope. He chose me and you. Who better to share the gospel than his children? You are heirs to the throne of God. You belong to him. You are sons and daughters. Who knows better about God than his children? His angels are not heirs to the throne nothing special except in the kingdom where he uses them. They're wonderful beings. He uses them as messengers, but it is you and I who bring about the truth about how good God is and how he sent his son to die for our sins. Here's my last point. About a couple of weeks ago, I shared with the elders, and I've been praying about this, about this matter. Why don't I share the gospel? Why don't I go out there and speak the truth? And God spoke to me. You know what he said? He said this. You need to have the love for the lost that I do. And I didn't. I didn't have the love for the lost. You know what I was involved in? My own life, my own family, my own children, and being involved in doing what I wanted to do in the meantime, the lost are continue to be lost because I have no love for them. Love for the lost. That is a sobering thing to me. And I began to pray that the Lord would begin to give me his heart for the lost. Listen to the words, look at the words that Paul says here. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for their salvation. His heart's desire, because he had God's heart, his desire. He grieved for his kinsmen who were Jews and didn't come to know the truth. But he was burdened and grieved for them. And he, when he re- preached the gospel, things changed because his heart was right. If we don't have God's heart... When it comes to the gospel, we'll be sharing the gospel as checking a box. Did it. But if you pray and you have God's heart, you know what happens? There's something genuine. They see the love of God in you. That you're not just checking a box. I have this guy at work going through a terrible time in his life. He had a major argument with his son. His wife got so mad at him that she took off her ring. It was like a mess. It was going terribly wrong. And he says, can I talk to you? And, and he is one of the, the ops person who works under me. And I says, yeah. So he knew me. And he knows what I stand for and about the word of God. And when he told me everything, I said, you know what? We're at work, but it doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm going to pray for you. Is that okay? He says, yeah. So I prayed for him. There was no sound and no movement. And I don't even know what happened. Listen, as the blossom does not know what happens to its fragrance, neither do you when you speak your influence into a situation. The next day, he stops me and he says, I got to tell you something. I was driving in my car and I was so frustrated without hope or anything and all of a sudden, this calm came over me. And I said, that's God. God is speaking to you. Three days, he's, every day, he stopped me. I got to tell you, man, I can't tell you how much I, I appreciate what you did for me. Something has changed. But now the doors open. He knows that I care for him. And now I can go in and present the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What's the worst thing that could happen when you present a gospel? Somebody calls you a fool. Somebody calls that you're weak. You think you can do that? We can do that? Because I get in tr- fear and trepidation when I'm going to say it. I'm sweating. My hands are sweaty. I don't know what the, But God just says, like Paul wants us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but listen, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Do you know that the words inside the gospel, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, his crucifixion and his resurrection, in that, in that is the power of God to change somebody's life. When you do that, he comes in behind you and breathes into them life. And then their eyes will see and their hands are strengthened to take hold of it by faith. We just got to open our mouths. It is the message itself that brings about change. How do we practically do this? Here's the practical side of this, okay? Here's the thing. You want to write them down? You can. If you don't, you can remember it. I don't have a good memory. I'd have to write it down. So that's why I did. Every one of these things has to do with prayer. Pray for God's heart for the lost. Ask God to give you his heart. Then pray for individuals that you are in contact with, your co-workers, your children, relatives, kids at school. Pray that God will begin to make inroads. He'll begin to prepare their hearts to receive the very thing they need. And then when you preach the gospel, they take hold of it. Then pray for opportunities, not just for the people like those people, but pray for opportunities for the person sitting next to you on the plane or in a restaurant. And the last thing, pray that God opens your mouth, that you would speak. Listen to these words in Romans in the 10th chapter. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? A herald. Not preacher, Pete the preacher. We are all preachers. We are all heralds. How are they going to preach unless they are sent? But listen to these words. Just as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. God looks down from heaven when we begin to open our mouths and we're walking forward and he sees you preach the gospel and he says, those feet are beautiful to me because you're stepping out in faith and you're moving in that direction. How beautiful are your feet? Do we have beautiful feet? The last thing I'm going to close with is this. In the book of Ezekiel, I'm not even going to read it, but I'm going to tell you. And Ezekiel says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure in their death. Some of us may think, one day they're going to get it. God's not that way. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would repent and turn and return to me. You know how they return to Him? Opening our mouth. Those people that we see as wicked may be children of God because God placed them in His Son before the foundation of the world. Those wicked people may be chosen, but they need to hear the word. We need to be those preachers who were sent out and speak the good news. Let's pray. Lord, we see that it is you who originates life. Our natural life and our spiritual life. I pray, Lord Jesus, this day, as we leave here, that we would have beautiful feet. That we would preach the gospel to those who are lost. and That they would come and they would find their place in your son. Know that they were chosen. And know that you have a purpose for their lives, Lord. I just thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day that your word was so so rich with what you had to say, and I, I thank you for it, Lord. And I, I pray that you work on us and give us your heart, and that we may be those ones who are those who preach the gospel of the good news, and that people would be saved. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.